Wood. My name is Pastor Nate. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're visiting, please let us know by just filling out one of those connection cards. You can get that from the uh, chair in front of you. So, we've been walking through Philemon together as a church. So, if you have your Bibles with you, just open them up to Philemon. If we remember, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and then you'll miss it because Hebrews is there and Philemon is one page. So that's one of those joys. If you uh, need a Bible, we actually have a bunch of those. Go figure, because we're a church and we like the Bible. Uh, and if you want, you can go to our library. You can grab one. There's a table of contents in the front, which can help you find these things. But uh, we'll be in Philemon today as we continue to worship our awesome God. Family dynamics are funny, aren't they? We all have family. If you're here, if you're alive, you have family. Okay, regardless if you like it or not, you have family and you're stuck with them because there's blood. You know, growing up, I know that even with, I have three younger sisters, so I have an amazing amount of patience, um, <laughs> which is what I like to say. But we used to fight like cats and dogs, like we used to get at each other a lot. Um, and my sisters would t remind me even to this day of those times where I would like, you know, punch him in the shoulder or something. I was a very good gentleman. <laughs> but family dynamics are funny. But it's interesting though that even with how funny f family dynamics can be, at the end of the day, and I think I've said this before, if someone were to come and make fun of my sisters, I was the big brother. I'm a big guy. And I would do my job of protecting my sisters. But family is also funny because blood is not always the strongest thing. We hear that all the time, right? That there's nothing thicker than blood. But I can give you many instances throughout history where blood was not the thickest thing. In the States, there's the Civil War, which actually talks about brothers being pitted against brothers. In the last two years, we've seen many examples of blood at each other's throats over different ideologies and different philosophies and how to handle certain things. So even though we come along and we might use that terminology, there's nothing thicker than blood, the reality is, is that blood is not that thick. So what is thicker than blood? What is thicker than blood? Within a family, we have blood that unites, but it's not always strong enough. We, we have lots of sad stories, even in our own lives, of families not being able to connect because they can no longer just even be in the same room together. But in Christ, we have something that unites us with an even stronger bond than blood. And this is what we see is the basis of Paul's boldness as we look at Philemon verses, as we look at verses 8 all the way to verse 21 together. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them, and we'll be reading all of Philemon together because there's only 25 verses. And this is a great example, actually, as a reminder to us of how we should approach the Word of God and study the Word of God. Philemon is a letter. And last I checked, you don't just read one part of a letter and then put it down till the next day. You read the whole letter. And Philemon is short enough, and I'm really bad with reading out loud, so we can do this today. 
So if you follow along with me, verses 1 at Philemon says this. The word of the Lord says this. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of your faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and all of the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for all for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us from the sake for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ, uh, for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus." whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending him my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, for I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hands. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother. I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confidence of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so is Mark, Articus, and Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we come together to continue to worship you, to make much of your name. And God, I think about all of the songs that we've sung and the words, your word that we've read so far this morning, and I just think about how great is our God. Lord, you are our perfect Father. And today we celebrate and think about the fathers that you brought into our lives, and there's lots of mixed emotions that can come with that. But God, in Christ, we have a perfect Father who's an example for us who are fathers of how to father. And Lord, we thank you for those who are our spiritual fathers, who walked with us and encouraged us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of you. So Lord, I just pray that we would make much of you today. And for those churches that are gathering in the same way, specifically of Stony Creek, 
Lord, I pray that you'd be with Pastor Mark and, and, and the pastors and the elders at Stony Creek, that you would bless them as they seek to be faithful disciples and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Give them the wisdom that they so desperately need to shepherd the flock that you have entrusted to them. And we pray for the church here in London, that it may grow, that it be a faithful witness to you, and that we would continue to keep our eyes upon you. And Lord, as we continue to worship you through the preaching and even the listening to the preaching of your word, God, I want to preach so that you are glorified. I want to praise you and praise your name. And God, I can't do this on my own. So by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. But use this, Lord, above all things for your glory, the joy of your people, and the salvation of the lost. And amen. In verses 8, we see, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. I always laugh when I read this passage, because how many of us would be bold enough to say that? Paul is. And he's frank, and he's open about a hard subject that's going to be breached, that he's going to talk about. He's bold enough in Christ to command Philemon to do what is required of Philemon. And Paul, was confident, his confidence is coming from who he is in Christ. As we saw earlier, a couple weeks ago, at the very beginning, the introduction to the letter, we see that Paul is a prisoner of Jesus Christ, which is important. He's a prisoner of, as the article says, as the grammatical aspect is. He's a prisoner of. He is an apostle. And he's bold, and he understands who he is in Christ. But Paul doesn't want to just tell Philemon to do something. He wants to get to a deeper motive and get straight to the heart of Philemon when Paul describes Onesimus, his son. Paul is appealing to the hearts because motives matter. And Paul later will address that Philemon will do more than whatever he asks. Why? Because it's rooted in the understanding of, of the heart that has been changed by the gospel. Even for Philemon, his heart has been transformed by the power of the gospel. And Paul now appeals to that heart that the Holy Spirit is sanctifying and transforming. And says, even though I have the boldness and I can't tell you what to do, Philemon, I'm going to get right to the point here and get right to the point of the heart. Because the heart has been changed. And he will call on him to do what is required of him. Ephesians 5, 4 talks about that idea of what, some aspects of what is required of those who are in Christ. As it says, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. So even though he has the right to call Philemon to do these things that he will eventually say... He goes to a deeper thing, because legalism is bad, right? And what is legalism? Legalism is often requiring something of somebody else that the Bible doesn't say. But here, legalism is also true as well, because legalism gets at the motives of what we do and why we do it. And it comes very easily, especially for us in, in, our, in our Western context. Why are we doing that? Well, because I should. Well, you don't want to? Not really. This is something I should do. You know, in marriage, you see that all the time. There's a different interaction that becomes noticeable when we're just doing things that are out of a sense of duty rather than out of a sense of love that is rooted in the gospel. 
It can become very tiring if we don't root things in the gospel and our understanding of what Christ has done for us, therefore we do for others. But Paul here comes and he wants to get to the deeper motivation. He wants to get to love, as he says later on. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Paul doesn't demand anything in Philemon, but appeals to him on a basis of love, which will be a string, stronger motivation than just listening to this guy forever away in a letter saying, hey, Philemon, you should do this. Paul always points back to Jesus as a motivation for what we should do, but he does the same thing for Philemon right here. And it is the basis of his appeal to Philemon. Paul is seeking to persuade Philemon to make this free decision to give undeserving mercy to a runaway slave. Ever hear of a story that might have happened like that before? Maybe Jesus dying on the cross for you, for me. Paul points, in a way, to the undeserving mercy that Philemon has already received by Jesus Christ, who died for his sins and rose again. Love is what allows us to boldly approach that throne of grace, as we were reminded of even in 1 John. And in 1 John 4, 9 and 11, it says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his own Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his own son to be the propitiation, to absorb God's wrath that was for us of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So Paul appeals to Philemon, and he anchors it into the gospel of why he should do what he's about to be asked to do. And as in verse 10, he comes and Paul says, I appeal. He earnestly goes. He's earnestly making an advocate for his, for his child, his spiritual child, Onesimus, whose father Paul became as he, Paul was in prison. Remember the backstory. Onesimus had run away from Philemon, and he found himself in Rome, which is a bigger, or, which is a bigger city, right? It's easier to hide in a bigger setting, unless God has a sovereign plan for you. Because the one person that Onesimus runs into is what we know and understand to be the greatest missionary of all church history, who boldly proclaimed the gospel to Onesimus. And God used Paul's faithful proclamation to change his heart, to call him to himself. And in that, that is when Onesimus became Paul's spiritual child. The gospel is transformative. It has changed relationships between two people that would have been at odds with one another. And the gospel has moved Onesimus into a new relationship with Paul. And as God uses, used Paul to share the gospel with Onesimus, God transformed his heart and begins to renew Onesimus' mind. And Onesimus has been adopted into a new family where Paul can come and use the intimate language like child and father. No longer is his identity found in what he was before as in, in his cultural status, but now his identity is found in Christ. And when Onesimus' identity is now found in Christ, no longer is he just a slave, as we will see later, but now he is a child of the living God. 
His status has been changed. His view has been changed. The gospel is beginning to transform him, not only just him in his hearts, but also in his relationships. And this is a transformation that is only accomplished by God with Paul acting as his agent. And verse 11 comes, as he says in these little brackets that have there, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to me and to you. And I like this because actually... The, the people who would have originally been listening to this probably would have snickered to themselves because it's a play on words. Some people like those things. I don't. But, you know, some people like those things. It's like riddles. I'm like, just tell me how it is. But I love how the wordplay is happening here. And the original readers would have thought this was humorous. And Paul is about to ask Philemon to do something very radical, countercultural. So Paul trying to kind of tries to lighten the mood a little bit before he gets into the deep stuff. Not that he hasn't yet. So he says, Hey, Paul, here's this guy. So don't read over it too quickly. Because then we, we forget that Onesimus' name actually means useful. His name actually means useful or beneficial. And by all we know so far, Philemon, or Onesimus has not been that. He has not been useful or faithful or beneficial to Philemon. He ran away. But then we see in Colossians 4, verse 9, where Paul in yet another letter describes Onesimus as faithful and beloved. A beloved brother, he says in Colossians 4, 9. Something has changed in the life of Onesimus, and it's nothing short of a radical transforming power of the gospel. God has invaded his life and has changed him from someone who was useless to someone who is useful. And this is fascinating to me. Because how often in our lives have we written off someone as useless? And God takes what we may write off as that useless, and he takes him or her and says he is mine, and gives him purpose and a new heart that not only enables him to believe, but changes his motivations. And now he can live for the purpose he was created, and that is to make much of Christ. Onesimus isn't useless anymore. He's useful. See, because the gospel has a past, a present, future implications. It's the door we enter. It's the room we stay. It's the air we breathe. And when the Holy Spirit so radically transforms Onesimus' life, he moved from, a, from stealing from Philemon and running away and completely counter to his name to having repented and becoming obedient to Jesus, even seeking to reconcile one of the most scariest relationships possible. We've got to understand that as Onesimus is holding this letter written by Paul, as he's walking one step closer and closer to Colossae and to having that interaction with Philemon, Philemon would have been fully within his rights to strike him down and kill him there. Fully within his rights. What type of transformation had to have happened on Onesimus' mind to go and seek to reconcile that relationship? He had to have an encounter with the greatest of reconcilers, Jesus Christ. 
The gospel has so radically transformed Onesimus' character and his relationship with Paul and soon-to-be Philemon. The grace of God is transforming him and his relationships with those around him. And as Paul continues on, he says, not only am I just sending him to you, in verse 12, I am sending him back to you. I am sending my very heart. Actually, the Greek is talking about gut. But, that's kind of where that feeling is when you feel sick. That's why the English translates it as heart. I am sending you my very heart. The very part of my emotional well-being. I am sending him to you. I'm sending part of myself. You see, when Paul comes in verse 11 and he describes how Philemon or Onesimus used to be useless and now he's not useless, you can see how he furthers that argument in verse 12 by saying, I'm not just sending you some little like, ragtag guy, I'm sending you part of myself. He is important to me. I love him dearly. As he continues on in verse 13, that he might serve me in your place. And this is an absolutely amazing statement. Because here is Philemon, who's what? He's a slave owner. A good man, a Christian, but still a slave owner. And here's a man who's accustomed to be serving, to be served, who's now called to serve. Paul is calling Philemon to serve him. At the heart of this statement, it shows a distinctive ethic of what it means to serve one another that is at the heart of the Christian community. The gospel even transforms our attitude on how we serve one another and why we serve one another. You ever have those conversations with someone like, hey, can you, can you go please clean the toilet or something? And they say, well, that's, I've worked in fast food restaurants. I've, I've worked in the restaurant environments. And there's always somebody who's a smart aleck who can say, oh, that's, that's not my job. Philemon could have said that. But Paul says, no, there's a deeper motivation here. Paul has put his personal wish below the good of Philemon, as he even says in verse 14. But why would Paul do this? So that Philemon has the opportunity to do a good thing freely, acting as someone who has experienced the grace of God himself. Remember back to verse 7, which says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul has seen the good that Philemon has done to others, and Paul will ask, to, to, uh, ask Philemon to do the very same thing here, again, to Onesimus. Because he doesn't want him to do anything out of some sort of uh, arm twisting, but of the goodness of his own heart, a heart that's been transformed by the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And why would all of this happen? And Paul begins to kind of think, well, in verse 15, he says, well, maybe this happened. Perhaps this is why, the apostle Paul says. He, 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 Onesimus, was parted from you, Philemon, for a while, that you might have him back forever. You see how the deepness of the relationships change. See, our families 
we think that we're with them forever, but we're not necessarily. But in Christ, we're stuck with each other forever. Literally forever. If we don't keep our eyes on Christ, no wonder we backbite each other. But here, if God is sovereign, there's a purpose to everything that happens. Even with Onesimus stealing or possibly stealing from Philemon and running away and breaking all those laws and, and, and essentially being useless to Philemon and all of those things, God uses Onesimus' sinful nature to not only glorify himself, because what better glory is there in bringing a person who was dead to life again? But also in this interaction that is happening right here. God's sovereign providence is visible in this moment. As Paul points to how the circumstances of even Onesimus running away played into how God would call him to himself. Philemon, you lost him for a little bit, he says, but now you have him back forever. As he continues on in verse 16, but no longer as a bondservant or a slave, but more than that, more than a bondservant, as a, as a beloved brother. As a beloved brother, he says. Not as a slave. A new birth has happened in Onesimus, and that new birth trickles into every part of his life, even his relationship with the person who was his owner. And the, the gospel has transformed the relationship not only between Paul and Onesimus, but also the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon. And God's grace in the gospel has the power to reconcile people and transform relationships. This is why Jesus puts such an emphasis on how we are to treat and to love one another as part of our witness. Because if I truly understand the grace that God has poured out in my life, if my heart has truly been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the transforming power of the gospel, if I truly am a new person that changes how I interact with the people around me, no longer is it about me, but it's about my brother and my sister and making sure that they can grow in the grace and the knowledge of their Lord and Savior. I serve differently. And Brian Chappell put it this way, though they were both formerly saved to sin, slaves to sin, they have become prisoners of grace, each learning how to move from being self-centered to becoming others-oriented. And this is the basis of what Paul will ask for later in verses 17 to 20. There's a continuation in the thought in verse 17 with that word, so. In light of everything I just said to you, Philemon, in light of this relationship that has been transformed, in light of me sending my very heart to you, in light of this man who was once useless is now useful, who has been transformed by the grace of God, in light of all of these things, in light of all that is happening, I am about to make you a request. As he says, if, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. This is a completely countercultural thing. 
Paul was a close friend of Philemon, his spiritual father. Paul was an educated man, well-to-do, hardworking, an apostle, all of these things. And, and Paul says to Philemon, receive Onesimus, that man that was useless to you, that man that ran away from you, that man that stole from you, receive him the same way that you would receive me. And this receive is an imperative, which means it's not a request, it's a command. Paul comes and he, he says, if you and I, Philemon, if you and I consider each other partners in the gospel, if you and I are brothers and sisters, or brothers in the Lord, if you and I have that relationship, which I know we have, then this will be the outcome of what will happen. This isn't an option. You will receive. So if Philemon considers Paul his partner, he will receive him as he would receive Paul, who also, who also can do that because of what Christ has done in Philemon's life. As we continue on to verse 18, Paul begins to work out some of the, in, the, the nitty-gritty of this relationship. If he has wronged you, Paul says, if Philemon has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it that to my accounts. Whatever is owed by that man, whatever is owed by Onesimus, Paul, I, Paul, I am going to pay it back. I will pay it completely. As Paul displays Christ-likeness, as he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And just as Christ took Paul's debt, paying it in full, not in part, but the full, Paul seeks to do what Onesimus can't, pay it back. Pay back what was assumed to be taken. This is a genuine commitment by Paul on his part. And Paul shows Philemon the transforming love of the gospel as he tells Philemon to charge that to my account. And this is humbling. Imagine with me and put yourself in the shoes of Onesimus and Philemon as he's contemplating all of what Paul has just said. As, as Onesimus is walking towards Philemon step by step, he's already spent whatever he took he doesn't have a job, he's broke, he has nothing. And Paul says, don't worry about it, I'll take it, I'll take it. If you are in Christ, Jesus has done the very same thing to you. When Jesus died on the cross for, for your sins, for our sins, he said to God the Father, take what that person Take what is owed. Take what Nathan Clausen owes and charge it to my account. And I'll pay it. And Jesus did as his blood was shed for our sins. When he cried those final words at the final hour of agonizing pain, it is finished, the debt was paid, the sin, the treason, the brokenness, the pain, the, the purposelessness, all of that was taken upon him. He paid it all. The grace of God changes how we look at things. As, as Paul is rightly, he's rightly, uh, he's writing any possible wrong that Onesimus has done, but he also reminds Philemon that anything that Onesimus owes is actually nothing compared to what Philemon owes Paul. I'll pay it back, Paul says, 
but God is the one who used me to proclaim the gospel to you, and that's what changed your heart. Philemon owes Paul his own self, which means that the way that Philemon came to faith in Christ was the same as Onesimus and made Philemon Paul's spiritual son as well. I can't, you think about the sovereignty of God. I think this is something that we don't take a lot of focus on. Like, just think about this. Think about all of the things that had to happen in order for that, this relationship to happen. God is sovereign over it all. If God wants to save someone, if God wants to save a slave who stole from his master and ran away, he's going to. He's going to bring him into the life of a man named Paul who's chained for for Jesus Christ for preaching the gospel, who's going to keep preaching the gospel to, to Onesimus. Not only is he going to preach the gospel to Onesimus, he's already been used by God to preach the gospel to another man. Now there's this relationship And here God's using all of these things. And God continues to do that. As verse 20 continues on, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you. And you feel the tension beginning to be released a little bit. This has been a little heavy for Philemon as he's been reading it in front of his whole church. His whole church. You ever have a personal letter written out loud to everyone? I haven't. Hey, Philemon, you should do all these things. You got to think, Paul, you're laying it out really, you're laying it on really thick. Kind of a bit of a guilt trip. But then he comes and refers again to Philemon as a brother. Remember back again in verse 7, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And Paul is recalling the words he has already said, and Paul is actually putting himself in a position of dependence on Philemon. Even though Philemon owes him, Paul is depending upon him. Because of the grace of God that has been given through Jesus Christ's death, our payment for our sins and his resurrection, God now accepts us and Philemon and Onesimus and Paul as his own who once were not. Because of that grace, Philemon can accept the one who was once useless but is now useful and as a beloved brother who is no longer just a bondservant but a brother in Christ. And Paul begins to close off this letter in verse 21 as he says, I am confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Why would he say that? Because when someone is more aware of the grace of God, that grace that God has poured out on them, how could we not seek to do all we can to bring glory to him? Paul has spent this whole letter reminding Philemon of the grace that God has poured out on his life. And now he's calling him to act accordingly. This life-changing thing, this life-shaking, it's so life-changing the gospel has transformed all of Onesimus and even Philemon, that there are not just any sort of relationships. The relationship has changed because the gospel changes everything. So what, you may ask? And here's the main point. Jesus is the great reconciler. And because of his grace, 
we can receive any Christian as a brother or sister. Colossians 1 verse 20 says, And though and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus is the ultimate reconciler. He made this possible by making peace on the cross. This is the standard that we should have in our hearts. This is what should rule over our hearts because of what Jesus, what Jesus accomplished on the cross for our sins. Just as Colossians 3.15 says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body to be thankful. What the gospel does, what the Holy Spirit does in our hearts and in our lives, in our minds, is that it transforms us from the inside out. There's no option in that. It's what happens. It's not perfect. We can talk to some of our older saints and say, hey, have you achieved perfection yet? If they tell you yes, they're lying to your face, and that's another issue. <laughs> that's what our actions and our attitudes are. They're like, they're like a neon sign to the change that God has done in our lives. It's not done out of compulsion or some sort of arm twisting that is against our will. The gospel changes our will and our desires to be more like Christ so that we do these things. So Paul comes and he says, I know you're going to do more because I know your heart. Because your heart's been transformed by the gospel. Because Jesus is the great reconciler. And because of his grace, we can receive any Christian as a brother and sister. And we can now receive someone not according to what they deserve, but as a Christian brother or sister, just as we have been received by God and do not deserve it at all. It's why in the Christian church, there's no room for some sort of like, I'm better than you attitude. We've all been, we're all sinners in need of God's grace. Alistair Wilson said it this way, Paul's appeal to Philemon appears to boil down to this. Receive Onesimus, not according to what he deserves, but now as a Christian brother just as you would receive me. In our culture, there's something called cancer culture, cancel culture. If someone says something we don't like or something we don't like, we write them off. We unsubscribe, we unfollow, we don't return their phone calls. Uh, who calls people anymore? Text messaging. <laughs> we ignore, we shun, etc. This happens in families. The culture, our world says, to cancel anyone who hurts us. We call them toxic. If there's not any more toxic relationship, is Philemon and Onesimus. Even in the church, even in the Christian culture, we see that all the time. Two churches disagree about how they're going to handle a certain situation. Therefore, they write each other off and they don't talk to each other anymore. But in this letter, in God's word, we see something that is completely counter to the culture because the gospel is countercultural. The gospel undermines our cultural perspectives with the realities of God's amazing grace. We see the working, we see the working outs of that. 
as we see this relationship of Philemon and Onesimus, who were, once, who were once slave and owner, no longer slave or owner anymore, but are now brothers and partners who have both had debts that couldn't be paid, but have been paid in full by Jesus Christ. Jesus is the great reconciler, and because of his grace, we can receive any Christian as a brother or sister. In the Christian life, it's really easy to come along and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. It's easy. Because I can say it. It's more of an acknowledgement. But when, what happens when the statement is actually acted out in our lives? What happens when, when the rubber actually hits the road? What does it look like in our lives as the power of the transforming, of the gospel transforms our lives? What happens when God's grace so infiltrates our lives? If they are part of our family, we have obligations. We're obliged. We in our culture separate people based on, our so, on social circumstances. Or even in, in, in Canada, there's a separation based upon socioeconomical status or circumstances. It may not be in an official caste system, but there's still a caste system. Maybe it's education, gifting, financial status, political views, or our view of what should or shouldn't be done over the past two, three years. Whatever it may be, it all challenges the new reality that happens when we are brought into Jesus' family. What we see here in Paul's letter to Philemon is that for every Christian, a Christian is to receive any Christian from any circumstance in the same way we would receive our best friend. As one person put it, only grace can bring about such recon recon recognition of how we have been accepted in G Christ, enabling us to show such acceptance of others. And only the power of Christ at work in us can enable us to live out such a desire. In my short time on this planet, I've had the blessing of being able to travel a little bit. I've been to South America, I've been to Peru, I've been to the Middle East when I went to Jordan. And in both cases, I had the opportunity to hang out with the church. I shouldn't say hang out. Worship with the church. There we go. I don't speak Arabic, and I definitely don't speak Spanish. Hola, that's as good as it gets. Right, Keyless? <laughs> that's as good as it gets. I'm very thankful for very gracious and patient people. <laughs> but the one thing that blows my mind in traveling around in those countries, and if you've been a missionary in another country or wherever, is this amazing thing. That the church in Jordan or the church in Peru or the church in Africa, when they get together, it's amazing what happens. Because the gospel transforms us. I don't understand a word of what they're saying. I don't, but I can pray with them. I can pray for them. I can serve them. They can serve me, generally through food, because <laughs> I do that like my job. Jesus is the great reconciler. He's done so many great things. He's reconciled us to a holy God who we've sinned against. 
The Bible is clear. Because of that sin, we deserve one thing, and that is hell. But if we're in Christ, we've gotten something that we don't deserve. We've received mercy that is beyond imagination. Grace, I could start quoting songs, but grace. And there's an outpouring, and it affects our relationships with one another. It changes us. The last two years have shown a lot, have they not? There are many people on both sides of the line who claim to be followers of Christ, but for some reason act like they're enemies all the time. But then I look at this story, this letter, written by the Apostle Paul to a man who had been wronged in a relationship with another man who also had been wronged because it's the meaning of the image of God. And they're coming together as brothers again. That's nothing short of the transforming power of the gospel. If the gospel can transform Philemon Onesimus' relationship, it sure should be transforming ours. And that shows as part of our witness. As we go out declaring the good news of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, how I interact with you and how you interact with me and how we interact together is a testimony of that grace. Jesus is the great reconciler. I'm not saying it's easy, by the way. Don't hear me say, oh, this is going to happen immediately. I'm sure that they had a long conversation that we aren't pervious to. I'm sure there was a lot going on there. But I do know that Jesus is a great reconciler. And because of the grace that he's poured out on me, and because of the grace he's poured out on you, we can receive any Christian as a brother and sister. Even the ones we just, you know. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today and the chance we have to worship you. And I just pray that as we continue to worship you today, I pray that we would reflect more and more upon the gospel, the transforming work of the gospel. Jesus, you are the great reconciler. And because of what you, how you have reconciled us to, to your Father, we can be reconciled to one another so that we can call each other's brothers and sisters because we're part of the same family. As we were even reminded about today, communion is a sacrament, it's an ordinance. It is the family table as we come and reflect upon what God has done through us, or to us, through his son, Jesus Christ. That we may be called uh, children of the living God, and that we can call each other brother and sister. And amen.